This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Folks, welcome to the Draft Deeper podcast. I am this week's lead host, Maxwell Baumbach, Nathan Grubel. Not joining us this week. We're hoping to get him back in the saddle very soon, however. As always, our producer is Kevin Black, and I am joined by Draft Deeper's own Stephen Gillespie. Stephen, how are you doing tonight? Maxwell, I'm doing great, man. Um, people probably hear it a little bit difference in my voice. I'm recording at a new location today. Um, luckily, you know, I, I was the this place from where I was staying. So I got some friends that uh, were nice enough to let me crash their, their place and, and podcast here. So coming to you live from uh, Jacksonville, Florida today. So if <laughs> nice. I sound different, it's just, I'm a little bit further South than where I'm where I'm normally recording. So, Hey, there we go. And uh, this week we're going to be talking about international players. We're continuing our preview series. If you've missed that on these previous episodes, make sure to go check them out. And also up top, Make sure you go to noceilingsnba.com, subscribe to the Substack. If you're listening to this podcast, subscribe to this podcast and also rate and review on the podcast app of your choice. It helps us a lot as far as people discovering our shows. We've got good, fresh content coming to you every single day. So make sure you're subscribed and getting the No Ceilings content in your ears. So let's get to the man everyone wants to hear us talk about. We're doing international prospects this week. And we are touching on the number one player on my big board, the number one player on the No Ceilings Consensus big board, and the number two player on Stephen Gillespie's big board. We're talking about Victor Wembanyama, currently playing for Metropolitan's 92 in France. Uh, he was kind of the presumptive number one pick coming into this class through, uh, I believe it's the first 10 games of his season in the LNB league in France, he's averaging 25.4 points per game, 8.2 rebounds per game, 2.3 assists, 3.3 blocks, 1.1 steals, shooting splits of 51.2% from the field, 37.5% from three and 77.8 from the free throw line. It's seven foot four with an eight foot wingspan. This is just unbelievable stuff. I couldn't be more excited about Victor. Um, his shot making profile is unbelievable. His jump shot is unblockable. Uh, he's been more willing to attack and get downhill. He's hitting even more difficult shots than he'd even taken in the past. Um, his touch over the top is unbelievable. He's a monster shot blocker one-on-one when guys, uh, especially when guys try to take him on the block, uh, even though his strength isn't all the way there yet, he's talking more on offense and guiding players through actions off the ball. He's got sharp recognition, forcing turnovers with pokeways on defense. Just a truly fascinating player. Uh, Steven, how have you felt about Victor's performance so far that we've seen? I mean, I, I've said it when comparing the Victor Wimbanyama and Scoot Henderson debate is that 
Victor is unlike anything that we've ever seen, you know, like even our prospect chemistry that we laid forth in the, the preseason uh, draft guide. There's a lot of like Dirk Nowitzki, like a lot of. Yeah. Just... I, had to, I had to come up with that stuff. And I just threw like KD Dirk and like miles Turner. Cause I was just like, I don't know. I like, like a little bit of all these guys, digs, I guess. right. I, like, yeah. Is that even the right way to classify him though? Like one Probably player not. comp that I yeah. have is like, seven foot four I was like kind of stretching him out a little bit as if he needs my help but I was saying on Twitter he's seven foot six Jason Tatum like do we need yeah, to just yeah, start yeah. looking at this guy as a as a wing prospect because mm-hmm. if you look at everything that he's so good at and we're criticizing him on his strength even though it doesn't seem to have really hampered him that much this year um he's just phenomenal man like he's making it really hard for me to keep him as my number two prospect as much as I love Scoot Henderson I really need to kind of evaluate my pride and see if it's just me being stubborn or not because the stuff that he's doing Maxwell you just mentioned the stuff that he's trying in games like one-legged just pull up jump shots from the arc it's stupid he shouldn't be able to do that type of stuff well and the one-legged three so my so coming into the season I had Victor one and it was not by much like it was it was like him and Scoot neck and neck I honestly I think just because Victor is so odd I'd kind of I'd kind of hope that Scoot would just run away with it so it'd be so much easier to be like this is a type of player we've seen before I can feel more comfortable like attaching my cart to him and just let him do his thing um Victor like took a lot of just tough shots he didn't really need to take in the past and he's gotten way better about that like he's really cleaned it up as a number one option which is kind of surprising like you think it would be the opposite but he's done a good job of reeling that in but like you mentioned the one like at three and he took one of those early in the season and it was a bad miss and I was like that's the kind of stuff I want to see him get rid of and then he hits one in the game <laughs> and it's like, all right, well maybe this is just like a weird way to disguise a three that we've just never seen before that he's able yeah. to do because he's seven, four. And that's just something that's an option for him now. Yeah. And I mean, he's, he's hugging the line when he's doing that. It's not like he's at half court. I mean, we've seen guys mm-hmm. like Kristaps Porzingis take a, a flat footed three point shot, like, you know, just inside the, the half court line. So mm-hmm. It's the fact that he's so close. It's really no different than like you and I on like the elbow, you know, then like a, <laughs> yeah, a little yeah. fall away jump shot, except he's mm-hmm. kind of leading into it. So for him at his size, it just kind of works. And mm-hmm. the stuff that he's trying, man, it's ridiculous. I just, he uses his length so well. And I think that what's scary when evaluating him is that we're not looking his dragon balls is not reached his final form yet you know no, so he's no he's gonna get stronger he's mm-hmm. and that strength is gonna play into his, his interior game his help defense even his straight up post defense perimeter defense like you know getting bumped off or mm-hmm. being hip check or you know having a shoulder dropped into him on a drive it's it's gonna help him out in so many areas but um there are questions, and I think that even the most enthusiastic Victor Wimbenyama fans see that there are areas for him to to improve in. But like earlier in the in the offseason, you know, Corey from No Ceilings laid out that when he went and watched LeBron James, you know, one of if not the best high school prospect ever, he was like, "Wow, kind of nostalgia plays and recency bias plays into mm-hmm. your recollection of how good of a player he was in high school." Because you got to remember mm-hmm. that these guys are still kids and they got a long way to go, even at their absolute best relative to their peers. 
Yeah, well, like even rookie LeBron, like because LeBron has been so productive his entire mm-hmm. career, I think people overlook the fact that like as a rookie, LeBron struggled as a jump shooter. He struggled at the rim. And like if these things happen with Victor, it's important to remember like we can't just be like, well, LeBron was always dominant. It's like, well, he was always really good. But yeah, uh, yeah like it's we tend to just view the past player as the player they are now no matter what and that even happens mm-hmm. to guys like russell westbrook like guys who are struggling recently and people are like oh he shouldn't have won that mvp and it's like well maybe but like at the time that's he, he was a lot better than he is now um yeah so victor like you you touch on the improvement areas and i think i i'm like really blown away by how much he's improved already which has me really optimistic like i think coming into the year if victor had been like so right now he's at like 24, seven and two, like roughly stats wise. If yeah, he had been terrible. like, Just yeah, if stuff. he'd been like 15, six and a half and like one and like two blocks and he was shooting like 45, 28, 70, I think he probably still would have been number one on my board. Just based on yeah. like the, the size, the flashes, like the weird stuff you can do. Cause I, I feel like he's been so dominant this year that we forget how kind of just not good he was in the LNB last year. Like yeah. he wasn't super productive and looking at how far he's come, like the efficiency is already way better. So mm-hmm. that has me optimistic, but I think the biggest thing for me that I want to see him improve is this playmaking for others. Yeah. Um, because he's, he's going to draw a lot of attention. He's going to draw a lot of doubles and, the thing we talked about with Scoot Henderson last week is like, he's just so good at leveraging the motion that he forces the defense to do. He forces rotations, he forces scrambles, and he has a phenomenal understanding of like, Hey, when this guy comes from here, then this pass is opened up or because this guy came from over here, this other defender is going to go this way. And then I'm going to hit that man. Like he's, he's just really on top of that. And Victor, I think that stuff is slowly coming along. It's not, And, and my concern is if he isn't going to put on the size or just not be in a position where he's playing center all the time. And if he's not, I don't think that's the end of the world. I, I do think he's stronger as well. Um, but if he is going to be like a wing player who initiates offense, he needs to have wing skills. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's where the passing comes along for me. So I, that's like the biggest area where I really want to see him take a jump. Is it similar for you or are there other things that you're kind of hoping to see him clean up? Well, yeah, so on by the time everyone's listening to this on, you know, no ceilings, uh, NBA.com, I will have released a piece that's covering like my biggest questions for the top 30 out of the 45 that the collective released on on our most recent big board. And the the number one question was for for Victor was, can he make others better? And I mean that in a traditional sense, right? Like mm-hmm. there are certain players that are shooters or that are posts like they, you know, they have their own gravity. Right. And because they have that gravity it leaves other players open and available to, to make their own shot. I want to know how much of a playmaker Victor Wembanyama can be because this influx of like the, the size to skill ratio, what we see is that these guys are more often than not kind of like a hinge offensively, you know, they're, they're relied upon for scoring and for setting the table for others. I mean, looking at what we're seeing now from Evan Mobley in Cleveland with you know, Donovan Mitchell coming there is he's kind of taken a step back a little bit offensively, but he's asked to kind of facilitate and rebound and things like that a little bit more. I think that Victor, his idealized role is going to be obviously coming in as like a scorer and a help side defender, but 
kind of that maturity in his game is going to be how can he look other people open, especially like as you laid out as a wing player. Um, obviously, we touched on the strength. And the, I'm curious, like depending on Paul and where he's drafted, is he going to be kind of pigeonholed to be an interior guy simply because he's tall? This is the type mm-hmm. of stuff that we worry about in high school. You know, like if yeah. you play at a very small school like I did, and I was six foot, I had to play the four and the five. But, you know, when I went to college and tried to walk onto the team, <laughs> I had to try to be a one. And I, mm-hmm. there, you know, teams aren't interested in a post-playing point guard, right? So mm-hmm. um, that was very short-lived. But for Victor, I'm kind of worried for that same thing is that, is he going to be asked to play the five because he's seven foot four to seven foot six, depending on who's measuring them, him that day? I'm curious about that. And real quick, Maxwell, I want to ask you because, you put you put something on Twitter that really kind of sparked my interest, and I was legitimately thinking about this for a long time because mm-hmm. I want to throw it back at you. You pose the fact that, like, is Victor Wembanyama the next player that is going to force a rule change in the NBA? Yeah. And yeah. I think that's an interesting question, and the only one that I can think of for a player with his size to skill is, like, maybe you're restricted to how long you can stand outside the three-point line at some point. Like, are you restricted for, like, you can only stand outside the three-point line for eight seconds before you have to at least, you know, have both feet inside the three-point line at some point on offense, something like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, something along those lines, and you would have to have, like, a fit cam, you know, solely Mm -hmm. dedicated to him or something like that, but – Something along those lines is the only thing that I can think of in this beautiful game that we have now. Like, how can you Mm -hmm. kind of neutralize the threat that Victor Wimanyama might pose in the NBA? Yeah, so it was was at Tyler Knows Ball that originally posed the question. And the one, because he mentioned it, and then Ricky O'Donnell posted a clip of Victor, like, kind of getting stuck. So he just threw the back, threw the ball at the backboard to himself and put it back, (laughs) which is like something Marvin Bagley used to do a lot. And I think with Victor, because he's so big, it would be so much easier for him to continue to do that at the next level. So like, to me, that's one where it's like, is, are they going to make a rule about like, you cannot intentionally miss and get your own rebound during the course of play or something something like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I think that's the one we're most likely to see. Um, Defensively, I, I feel like there are some things that will shake out in time, but I also think he's, He's so productive on that end because it's hard not to be really good when you're that size. Mm -hmm. Um, But some of the ways that like he positions his body is while like guarding pick and rolls. Um, He does still get a little overzealous um, and sells out on like closeouts or uh, really bites on fakes way more than he should. Um, That kind of stuff I want to see tightened up. His screen setting can be, uh, can leave a lot to be desired. Right. Uh, and the other thing that I've had some struggle with too, is that, and I, I feel like it's gotten better in his more recent games was like the first game of the LNB season is the game to watch to kind of see what I'm talking about is he can foul bait way too much yeah. where it's like, mm-hmm. I'm just going to like throw up this bad shot and hope that I get a foul call. And that's just something I don't really like to see, especially for somebody who's going to be new to the league. Cause like, if you are coming into the NBA, like young guys just tend to not get those calls. Um, Unless you're Paulo, he's been ridiculous this year. Yeah. Yeah. But Paulo is also like a freight train who loves content. Yes. Like that's the difference. It's like 
Paulo is drawing those fouls and he's drawing them because he is like doing the thing that I had concerns about him doing, which is just getting rid of the pretty stuff and consistently attacking downhill way more often. With Victor, it's a lot of like, I don't, re- I can't really beat this guy off the dribble and I don't really want to think of anything else. So I'm just going to like bump into him and throw up a shot. Hope I get, I hope he reaches while I'm dribbling and then I can yeah, try to just like heave up real quick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I want to see that polished up as well. Are there any other things with him that you're kind of like, cause and I don't, I don't want to seem like we're being negative on Victor, but I think everyone's so excited that a lot of like interesting developmental things get overlooked in talking about him. It's all just like, Oh, he's awesome. Which like, yeah, he is. He's the number one player yeah. on my board. But I think at the same time, like it's fun to discuss like, Hey, what are the things he can clean up and how can he be even better than he is as a guy who's scoring 25 a game in a pro league at 18 that's seven, four with outrageous physical tools and a crazy shot making profile from three. Well, yeah. And that's the thing is like, we know by default, he's got to get better, you know, yeah, yeah, because yeah. he's, He's going to undergo like the like the best coaching that he's ever had. He's going to have access to the best facilities and and training teams and and nutritionists and doctors and all of that. Right. So he's he's going to get better, you know, because he's going to get the volume whenever he gets drafted by whatever team is fortunate enough to land that pick. So he's got to get better. I'm I'm curious about how he's schemed defensively, especially while he's trying to you know, put on that strength. I don't know if he's necessarily going to be asked, even if he profiles as a, as a wing early on in his career um, to draw the toughest assignment. I think, you know, he's probably going to be asked to kind of help off a little bit and, um, you know, play alongside another, hopefully like stronger rim to turn, at least rebounder, you know, like mm-hmm. someone who's a little bit more um, girthy in the middle, like a Steven Adams type, like something along those lines would be beneficial for him to where he can just use his recovery speed and, and wingspan. That's ridiculous. And, and kind of be just a deterrent, like almost like a Rob Williams type role on a defensive side, something, a Jaron Jackson, something Mm -hmm. along those lines to where he's not necessarily the anchor, but Mm -hmm. he's a hell of a rudder. Yeah. 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 That makes it as soon as you mentioned Steven Adams and Jaron Jackson, it just kind of like clicked for me that yeah, that's really what I'd like to see. And I even think just from like a improvement standpoint, it would be really good to have him guarding on the perimeter more initially because the one area that's sort of like a physical thing that I think he struggles with defensively is change of direction. I think that Chet would, because him and Chet are going to get compared a lot because they're the two two big skinny centers that shoot threes. Uh, I always felt like Chet was a lot more fluid defensively on the perimeter when it came to just simply changing direction. Victor is a longer so victor has more of a leash when it comes to that sort of thing um but that is another like just small refinement area i'd like to see is one guys are countering him can he be a little bit uh more fluid through his hips can he regain his balance quicker um and just not not get shaken as often and not Um, have to rely on being like a chase down artist you know like is he gonna be is he going to be one of those guys that's just like more than happy to say, Oh yeah, here's a, here's a lane psych. Let me try to block it from behind. You know, yeah, you hope that he doesn't guy become in front of him more. Often. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, so the last question I want to ask you on Victor. Uh, so you do have scoot number one. Yeah. What would Victor have to do to surpass scoot or what would scoot have to do to allow Victor to pass him on your, point? I think that's the, I don't know if Vic can do anything else other than just like show up the next game, be 40 pounds heavier. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, and again, it's really difficult for me because 
there's just so much unknown about Victor. And a lot of people are using that in a positive lens, right? Like we just, unfortunately, we recently just saw that he suffered an injury in game. And a lot of people were, I think, ready to, you know, click send whenever they found out that he was going to miss a little bit of time, but he came back in that game and kind of deterred the boo birds a little bit, but I'm just, there's so much variance, I think, to Victor. And a lot of people are just really looking at the positive and, I don't even, I wouldn't even know who to blame if the whole Victor thing w- wouldn't work out because there's no blueprint for it. Like there's no yeah. person that could be like, oh, I know exactly how to work this guy to, to his fullest potential because we haven't seen anything like him. So um, ultimately, I think if everything continues the way it's going now, he's going to, he's going to jump scoot. Um, he's answered a lot of questions very recently uh, in the game film. And if he comes out and shows that he's capable of improving as a playmaker, then it's, just a matter of maybe my next big board where, where I have it switched. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Awesome. So we're going to keep it moving. It's sort of an interesting international class this year. Um, there are two other guys I currently have in the first round. You've got one of these guys awesome in the first round. So we're going to yeah. start with him first. And unfortunately he just suffered an injury. Uh, that is uh, Ryan repair, a French product who is playing uh, for the New Zealand breakers. Uh, yeah, like we said, unfortunately, a broken wrist is going to have him on the sideline for a little bit. Um, big, big, long wing. Uh, he's six, yeah. seven. He measured in with a seven foot three wingspan. Stupid. Uh, <laughs> he is very, very long. Uh, through the early start of NBL play, including preseason games, uh, he was averaging 8.1 points, 2.9 rebounds, just about an assist and a steal, uh, 0.2 blocks. Uh, was shooting 37.5% from the field, 36.8% from three and 79.2% from the free throw line Uh, with repair. I I think it is always important to mention that in the NBL historically, none of the next stars that have come over have been efficient in NBL play. Um, Mm -hmm. So you might see those field goal splits and say, Oh, you know, under 40% from the field. Oh, well, you know, that's, that's not very good. And, And you're right. But at the same time, LaMelo, Giddy, like all those guys were under. Usman Zhang last year. Yeah, exactly. So uh, like I was really surprised when I did the Usman Zhang piece last year, just how bad uh, efficiency wise everyone's been over there. Because it's a real physical league and it's an Mm -hmm. older league. Like all the Americans that are over there are guys where it's like, oh, yeah, I remember like playing with that guy in like 2K15. And like now he's (laughs) just like 28 and grizzled and awesome, but he plays in the Australian league. Uh, so it's a really tough league uh, to score in. Uh, with repair, obviously, like the size, the defense, that's a big part of the appeal. Um, it goes beyond that, though. He, do- he does do a phenomenal job of keeping players in front of him. Just like we mm-hmm. talked about Victor, he has good feet, he has active hands, and he really walls off drives. He also moves backwards really well while maintaining his footwork. So even if guys get downhill, it's you're still never really getting past him. Uh, he has a really great ability to get his bounce back after he's been shaken uh, and off the ball. He has smart rotational instincts. He knows when to stunt on a closeout and when to close out hard um, beyond that though, offensively it's, it's a game that's coming together. He <laughs> has a really good handle. He has a really good view of the floor, uh, keeps his dribble really low for a player, his size and gets low to the ground when he attacks the basket Um his shot looks clean and normal off the catch and he's a good free throw shooter. There can be some disconnect on his jump shot when he's shooting it off the dribble. 
And it felt like in, I watched a lot of his early NBL games, just there was no other basketball going on. Yeah. It felt like he never hit a tough shot in the mid range. Uh, But he, he, his vision is really good. Uh, He's really able to get out of tough spots with the ball. So what's your assessment of repair at this stage? And obviously we might not see him for a while, but what did you make of, of what we've seen so far? Yeah, the the injury sucks, but I was kind of sharing this with the No Ceilings crew is that I don't know if it's necessarily going to hurt his draft stock that much because Mm -hmm. there's the whole mystique about him being an international guy. He's already got some games under his belt for this season. He's already shown a lot of improvement from last year to this year, too, especially on the offensive end where that jump shot is coming along really nicely. Um, I had more questions about the handle, so listening to you break it down was like a little bit – off from my notes, but my notes were from earlier in the off season. And so what we're seeing from this year, going back and actually looking at it, I kind of have that underline as like, was I just seeing things or is it like him actually improving over the summer, which, you know, is more than likely to happen from what we've seen from the jump shot last year to this year, but the defense is where it starts for me, Maxwell. He, I I have in my notes that he is a hound defensively, like point of attack guy, very switchable. He puts on some strength a little bit more. You're talking about a guy who could comfortably guard most one through fours in the NBA. He's that type of an athlete too, where he's not like super powerful with his athleticism, but it's very functional. Like he can stay in front of guys, you know, flip his hips really well. Recovery speed is there. Attacking closeouts is there. Reminds me a lot of like Mikael Bridges on that end of the ball, where he's just like, defensively I think there's a lot of similarities and what we're seeing from the three-point shot this year I think that that parlays nicely but I also when I did my player comp for him I put in a little bit of RJ Barrett because he does have some handling he does have a little bit of creation ability so again prospect chemistry for no ceilings is not saying like this is a carbon copy of this guy but they're like shades of a little bit of these guys we put them in their own beakers and then shake it up and see what comes out that's kind of what Ryan Rupert looks like for me is a uh, R.J. Barrett, Mikel Bridges, kind of handily enough to where if he's like your third or fourth option, you trust him when someone's trying to like sell on a jump shot that he can create a little bit for himself. And Maxwell, what we see from like really efficient role players in the NBA is that they were trusted with larger roles prior to coming over to the league. So him getting that experience in the NBA, I think is huge for his development. I wouldn't even necessarily worry about the efficiency numbers anywhere else but the three-point shot. and looking to see the types of reads that he's capable of making with a live dribble as well. Yeah. So I think I'm a little leery with the three still because he okay hit it really well in like their preseason games and then like the early games. And then it sort of fell off. So he was, he had an O for one and then a one for three, O for three, O for three, O for two. Yeah. And then he made like, three out of eight in the last four games so i think while like the the 37 sounds really good i'm not totally sold on that being a weapon and that's like the one area where i i can see things getting murky for him is obviously he's a guy i trust off the dribble i trust as a passer and a decision maker um and i think i the idealized role is like he can hit a three if he's open or a corner three and keep the defense honest uh, and then function is like a second side playmaker as a result. Somebody else creates an advantage, gets the defense moving. You kick it to repair. Repair is attacking a defense. It's already a little off base. So maybe if he's open, he knocks it down. If not, he can drive and create something else. Um, 
I think if he's not in a position to keep the defense honest, though, it gets way harder just because even with his size and length, it's going to be harder to, to get that, you know, downhill momentum going when a defender does not need to fly toward you. Um, yeah. So that's, that's my concern. Do you sort of see a similar offensive role for him? Ideally though, as being like that second side guy. Yeah. And going back to the three point shot, not necessarily being there. That was also why I had Matisse Stiebel as uh, one of the guys in that comparison yeah. as yeah. well, where you have the defenses there. And we always like to say, if this player has a jump shot, they're going to be nasty. And it's mm-hmm. not always as easy as just adding a jump shot. Look at, you know, what Isaac Okoro is going through right now yeah. in Cleveland too. Right. So, um, I do like that assessment, though, as a second side creator, because, again, that's that R.J. Barrett piece where you don't want him to be your primary guy. Like, R.J. Barrett is like your your primary play initiator. Probably not a good look, but if he's your second or even on, like, a really good team, like a third or a fourth, then then you're cooking with gasoline, right? So I think I, I love your assessment of him um, because he can, he can get a little highish on his dribbles from what I saw, and – he can be erratic on those drives too. Like his processing, like when the defense is kind of collapsing onto him is not necessarily the best, but if the defense is kind of shifted and leaving him an opening, I trust that more with like slashing, cutting and, you know, short roll stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I'm definitely higher on that side of it. As far as like his decision-making and his dribbling where I do get concerned though, is just like when it's not there, like when he gets stuck, if he passes out of it, it's fine. But like, he just does not have the ability to like hit those mid range shots off the dribble right now. Like when it's yeah. clogged, I just, I just don't think he's a capable scorer yet. Uh, to your point though, like you mentioned the Tybal comp and in some ways that gives me a little bit more optimism just because like, I don't like Matisse Tybal to dribble the basketball. You know at what I mean? All, no. <laughs> yeah. Well, with repair, like at least it feels like the ball skills are a lot further along mm-hmm. and it's six, seven and having, you know, that seven, three wingspan, and just what we've seen out of, again, like I mentioned these guys all the time, like these trended Watford, like just these big, smart players, like they find yeah, a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like those types of guys can can cut and create their own openings. So I'm hoping that that is something that can give him a little bit of leash, just having that size uh, and a bit of ball skills if the shot isn't there on day one. Um, any any final thoughts on Rupert? No, I think that I think that we nailed it. I just think that, you know, again, I'm with all the injuries that we're seeing with a lot of these young prospects before college basketball has even started. It's been a real big bummer, man. Mm -hmm. And, you know, on top of that, we're dealing with some ridiculous suspension stuff for some of these players as well. So missing out on some of these top prospects so early in the season sucks. But again, it's, it's never ideal for an injury, but I'm glad it's for a player like him. I'm glad it's not like a lower body injury yeah. as opposed to like a wrist but again that might complicate the jump shot but we'll see but last um, thing <laughs> yeah that's the last thing we need with a guy like repair but i'm excited for him man i love him even though i got him 27th on my board i'm i, I have high hopes for him yeah um so with this next one i'm, I'm gonna kind of throw it to you for the the, the player breakdown because you're higher on him than i am uh so okay. i just kind of and i haven't seen a ton of him so i i want to see kind of what i'm missing uh, and what you're seeing in him. So this next player is James Naji, currently yeah. playing for Barcelona in the ACB, the Spanish league, one of the best domestic leagues in the world. Yeah. Uh, Barcelona also a team that plays in the Euro league. Uh, so this is a high caliber team in a very good 
league that is also playing in the Euro league because they are so good in the great league that they play in, in their country. Uh, yes. So because of that, his role is not super large at the moment uh, across all the Barcelona games he's played this season. He's averaging 10 minutes per game, uh, 3.1 points per game, 2.4 rebounds and almost an entire block per game, despite yeah. only playing 10 minutes per game. And very efficient as a finisher, 61.9% from the field. Uh, the free throw shooting has left a lot to be desired, though. 33.3% uh, on his free throws the year before this, 30.8%. And the year before that, 30.9%. So definitely some big issues at the free throw line for James Najee. Um, but he's a guy you've got a second round grade on. Um, just kind of take yeah. us through what you like about Najee. Well, yeah. And so like me being higher on him, I have, you know, he's 37th on my board. Yeah, and so yeah, you're not when, you're, when you're, or anything. Yeah. When you're, when you're assessing a guy like him and it's fun, like not funny, but um, if you want to kind of expound upon this, you probably can a little bit better, but a, you know, mutual friend of ours on draft Twitter, Nathaniel Miller was mm -hmm. talking about like, once you get like past a certain amount of like really high end domestic products mm -hmm. that, it really kind of falls off in terms of talent level. So really you should start evaluating like these top 15 international prospects and just start like mm -hmm. taking them in the second round. And that's not, that wasn't like my motive on putting Najee here. It was based on the film that I saw, but that, that logic kind of struck me in a way that's like, maybe I really need, really need to at least reconsider how I'm calibrating where I'm putting guys based on, you know, how many collegiate guys and international prospects, but, um, I like Najee a lot, man. The ver the defensive versatility, I think, is mm -hmm. like where really where it starts with him. He's a very fluid mover. Um, I trust him in the NBA switching onto wings and even some guards too. Um, okay. Star star players are going to give everybody problems, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, if you're talking about like your secondary tertiary options options on most NBA offenses, I really trust him on the switching. He's very well coordinated. Uh, ball tracking ability, I think, is is pretty high up there relative to where I'm slating him on my board, right? Like, I don't think he's a generational guy, This, even though this is a generational draft class. Um, I do I do like his uh, switchability prospects. Obviously, his athleticism will lead him to be a pretty good lob threat. Um, and the shot blocking, I mean, if, if you look at the per 36, I mean, he's <laughs> close to four blocks a game if you're going to be mm -hmm. um, projecting him out in a bigger role. Um, but at 37, if you're looking at, you know, a backup center, if you're a really good team, maybe even a third option, and you're looking to solidify a championship rotation with a high second round pick, uh, James Najee is that guy, man, because the rebounding is there. Some concerns that I have is um, the, the decision-making for kickouts, like when the defense kind of, swarms him a little bit whenever he's on the interior um his intermediate ball movement you know talking about can he power dribble and like mm -hmm. conduct a post move successfully um and he needs to get a little bit stronger but again we always follow that up with we know that these guys are at some point going to you know eventually get a little bit stronger and i think that'll help him on the glass and that if post play against some of the stronger like joel and b's nicole Jokic's, you know ayton's what have you um but ultimately, I just think that he is he epitomizes what the NBA is looking for in a lot of bigs now is, you know, these lob threats, you know, rim rolling guys, shot blocking and rebounding. And he's very athletic and switchable. So I think that that at 37 is a pretty, pretty good player that you could pick up um, at that point in the draft. Yeah, so I'm I'm a little lower, like I've got him 57. So I, I technically also have a draftable grade on him, but I'm not 
just super enthused. Like I think. Yeah. What's your hesitations with him? Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to, let's get the good stuff out of the way first so that I'm not just uh, dumping on him. So he's 6'10". I think he's, he's obviously big, but I think he's pretty strong for like his age. Yeah. Like you mentioned the size, like he needs to get stronger, but I, I think he's at like a really good starting point for a young. Absolutely. Um, with that, he screens really well, which is something that I love. Like it is, so overlooked so much of the time, but you need to be able to meaningfully create space for your guards. And if you're just ghosting everything and whatever, not only does it become predictable, uh, but it becomes less efficient for your ball handlers, yeah. especially when you are a guy who like, he's just going to screen and die for the basket. Like the defense knows James Najee is not popping off the screen. They know he's not going to ghost it and spot up on the perimeter. Like he he's going to have to roll the basket. So setting that good screen is important. Um, yeah, I think I'm a little lower on his switchability than you are, but I do think his feet are really good defensively when he has to guard on the perimeter for a player his age. I think that with him, it's just going to be a matter of experience and refinement. I don't think it's a question of does he have the physical tools to be able to do it? I think those are there. I think it's just a matter of kind of cleaning up uh, a few things defensively, especially his balance. I think that there are times where he just isn't fully on balance and uh, gets a little antsy with with how he uses his feet, and that can allow guys who are more crafty with the ball or will throw in more counter moves to get by him. Uh, but I do think he's really good off the floor, and I think that's the yeah. key to his finishing, his rebounding, and his shot blocking. It's like for a guy his size, he gets up real easy. Um, so it, he's just got that quick pogo stick, like whoop, he's off the ground and he's met you at the rim. Um, my other concerns are sort of just like role and in, in translation like he's not he's not going to do anything other than finish which is a okay i guess like there are guys that do that in the nba but if a guy is just going to be sort of like a blocks and dunks big man i also like to see something else it's not a total necessity like you said if he's he's you're projecting him to be a backup or a third option right yeah um but i think i i just wish there was like some other thing whether it be like short roll passing or uh yeah like the ability to just like put it on the floor a little bit make a shot at the elbow if there was something else to his game it would be a lot easier for me to be excited about him but otherwise right now he's a guy it's like you can draft him or you cannot like (laughs) yeah i don't know like to be part of it is i there are always going to be athletic players that can protect the rim and finish like there's 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 those guys every single year. And that doesn't mean they're not valuable. Um, but I do think it's a philosophical question worth asking to be like, well, would I rather swing the fences on something else? Even if, even if the probability of me hitting on that player is lower, would it make more sense for me to just try and get somebody who's maybe like a big wing that uh, really defends really well, but they don't have a shot all the way there yet. Like I'd rather kind of bet on that sort of a player at the back of a draft than James Najee. And, and I think that's fair, but going back to something that you mentioned earlier is like the limited playing time. It's really hard to establish himself within the flow of an offense to be able to really do much else of anything um, within a 10-minute time frame. And then you really have to look at like style of play in EuroLeague as opposed to the NBA. It's, you know, a lot of dribble pass shoot for wings and it's um it's very physical league, right? Like it's not um, – it's not just a bunch of, you know, flopping over there or anything like that, mm-hmm. but the penetration, the the driving, the pure speed of the NBA from other areas of the court, I think really kind of helps the offense. Um, be, well, 
I don't know if it helps it, but it's a lot different, right? So if you're taking like the best parts of, you know, Najee's game and incorporating that in an NBA style offense and coupled with that athleticism, I think that the role looks a little bit different. And I think that the lanes are a little bit wider. Um, the opportunities for, you know, pick and roll rim running is a little bit more frequent in the NBA as opposed to that Euro league style of play. So, um, I mean, you look at a guy like Nick Claxton, he's not the biggest guy. He's not the best screen setter, um, but has a really prominent role on um, a, an NBA team, largely due to depth. But if you take him off that team he's and good put though. him on other yeah. teams, he's, he's a good player. He's going to play, and he's, yeah. And he's largely going to probably be a backup at a lot of other places. But that style of play tr- still translates to the NBA. Mm-hmm. And again, the best coaching that he's probably going to get and it might actually American style of play would help him to show other areas of his game, as opposed to if you do anything else other than what I tell you to, and you jeopardize our ability of still being able to play in this league or being demoted, like yeah. you're, you're, <laughs> yeah. you're gone guy. So mm. it's a little bit more freedom in that aspect too. For sure. For sure. I think that's well worth considering and, and something that, you know, I've, I've talked to a lot of people about, cause I think it's such an interesting thing. It's like, I mentioned the type of player I would kind of rather gamble on sure. but at a certain point. Like it is your job as a general manager and evaluator to decide like, am I going to be picking somebody who's just not an NBA player? Because if they're not, and James Naji is then like the more valuable thing is the guy that actually plays in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Um, and he is very good at a few things already. Uh, so somebody uh, that we're going to move to next is the type of player that I would much rather bet on than James Naji. Uh, and it's somebody that you were much lower on than I am. Yeah, really weird that I that I liked this player. But then when I talked with you guys that I was like, whoa, it looks like I hate this guy. Like, what's wrong with me? You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. So it is uh, Nicole Jurisic, uh, who is currently playing for Mega. I believe they're Mega Mo. Are they Mega Mozart? Mozart, right now? yeah. Okay, right now they're Mega Mozart. By the time this comes out tomorrow morning, they might be something different. Mega death. They could be, yeah. Mega, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mega, mega leaks, uh, mega soccer bet. They've, they've yeah. been so many different megas. Uh, but uh, Jurisic is six, eight, sort of the uh, crafty decision-making six, eight forward type that we've yeah. seen a lot more of recently. Um, I, so I really like Jurisic. He's a top 20 player for me uh, on the board that I submitted. Uh, for the consensus big board, I had him 17th. Mm. Really knows how to get downhill. He is a crafty attacker. Uh, his handle is creative, but can often get high. Yeah. Uh, he's a clever passer. He uses interesting deliveries that are hard for defenders to telegraph. Very aggressive charging the rim. He has a nice mid-range jump shot that does not always fall at the highest clip. Uh, he can shoot off the dribble. He really fights inside when he gets to the basket. Um, really good entry passes from the outside as well. Uh, he's got a good spin move that helps him cover ground and he's able to see over defenders with his size defensively. His stance looks pretty good. He's doing a decent job of staying balanced on that end. Uh, but it's also the area where I definitely have the most concerns about him. Uh, a lot of times he'll tell on himself with his feet and really sag off players on the perimeter. Um, and he, has a very hard time against counters is something I wrote about in my quick hits when I covered him the other day. Uh, the other issue with him is the outside shot. He's not been consistent yet. Uh, so far through the three games that he's played with mega this season, I believe he's out with an injury currently. 
Uh, mm-hmm. 11.3 points per game, uh, 1.3 rebounds per game. Again, kind of low for a player his size. 3.7 assists per game, uh, but 44% from the field, 66.7 from the free throw line, and only 16.7% from three. So again, very small sample, but the outside shot is something that in all of his plays so far has never really been all the way there. Um, so where are you at with Jurisic? What are your concerns? Why are you lower at the moment? And what do you like? Cause you said you, you liked him as well. So, yeah. So um, I have him 39th on my board. So only two spots behind, um, you know, Najee. And I even, when I, when I messaged you kind of behind the scenes, I, I have a little asterisk next to him. It's like, I feel like I want to move him up, um, mm-hmm. but I kind of want to wait until at least have like a month of evaluating college ball and everything kind of all together before I, before I even tinker with my board (laughs) um part of part of his appeal to me was just like the size and playmaking that you see with him and I think the defense is going to be kind of undersold but I like his ability to kind of shoot passing lanes um still very young he's got the physical tools that I think that once he like kind of starts rounding up into form and starts getting used to the style of play that defense is going to elevate and I think it's really going to be a big part of his appeal um He's a very good transition threat. I like his ability to, to fill lanes pretty easily. He's very instinctual on that. And then again, you know, the big thing about this guy is going to be how efficient of a three-point shooter he is. And I don't know if a lot of that is going to be kind of himself creating his own three-point shot or just playing off of somebody else. Because if you're going to profile this guy as like a big playmaking wing, some of those three-point opportunities are going to be self-generated. And right now he just doesn't have the efficiency um, even the shooting consistency can be a little bit off, um, especially in the upper part of his mechanics. But again, I think that that's going to be cleaned up. He's again, very young. You know, he feels like he's been a name that's been associated with foreign basketball for a little bit now, surprisingly relative to his age, but mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm worried about the three point shot Maxwell. Like that's going to be the big thing. If he's going to be a wing NBA player at his size, the efficiency and the consistency has to be there. And that's kind of where I have him in like a wait and see range to where I have no problem with an early second round grade on him right now. But if I want to look at him as a potential top 20 guy, even sneaking up into the lottery level, he's got to like, no kidding, be an offensive threat because that playmaking is only going to get him so far in the NBA. If he is not a reliable three pointer, three point shooter. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely something that's got to, come around because as it stands now um i think it would it would be different if the defensive concerns didn't exist right like yeah if you felt like okay well this guy can defend and he's really crafty and he can get inside and like there's a chance he might shoot you'd feel way better about it yeah um which the defense could still like i said it could get there yeah i think my concern too is i just look back over his track record um I was doing this the other day and his three point shooting is just really up and down everywhere. Yeah. Like, and he played in a lot of like youth leagues and youth events. Uh, and like in 2020, he made 36% of his threes. And then the next year it was 22.9 and then it was 32%. So we still don't really know what he is as an outside shooter, but over the past couple of seasons, he's been a really good free throw shooter. And I think his touch is good. And there's nothing that screams out to me as far as being wrong mechanically. Uh, yeah. But again, like, I've been told I have a pretty jump shot. I can't make it to save my life. I, I, I play the Ben Simmons game when I'm playing pickup all these days. So, uh, I, yeah, I don't, 
I can't tell you for sure that it's going to come right. Cause there are tons of guys that that can make mid range shots and have a good looking shot and the threes never comes. Um, but given his age, the league that he's playing in, I feel pretty optimistic. And I think it's one of those things where if it does get there, it's really just going to even further open up everything else he's able to do on the offensive end. But again, if we're sitting here at the end of the season and he's still shooting like these percentages, yeah, I, I don't know. I have a really hard time putting a first round grade on a guy like that. And Nikola Jovic finished around a similar percentage, but he had a really quick trigger. He had a really high release. Um, mm-hmm. I just think on an eye test level alone and a confidence level with how often he took threes, I felt way better about his shot this time last year than I do about Durisic, even though I feel better about Durisic's defense. When you also, you know, those couple, couple inches too, like makes it a little yeah. bit more intriguing, you know, where he's looking at like six ten, six eleven, mm-hmm. and you're six, seven, six, eight, you know, that height of eye isn't as, uh, isn't as prominent. Right. But the three point shot is really where I'm at. Like I loved his, I loved his everything else. And looking at his jump shot, like you said, it doesn't look bad. It's just like, mm-hmm. why is it not going in? And again, so some of that might be self-generated, uh, you know, standing still might be his friend and you kind of use the ancillary playmaking skills, you know, on the weak side, things like that. But I don't know if, if he's profiling as a playmaking wing, he's got to be a threat because defenses are just going to drop and drop and he's not going to, he's also not like, I don't even know if he's sneaky athletic. Like he's, he's okay. He's not like yeah, a he's negative. On the, yeah. He's a fine athlete, but he's not going to like take anybody off the bounce. I don't feel like either. So, and that's no. also, but I, that's I also do, kind of playing into the evaluation a little bit. I do really trust his craft though. Like, I feel like the fact that like, he's a guy who is a six, eight wing is already rejecting screens and already yeah. uh, using uh, like fake passes to open things up for himself. And uh, just using different types of misdirection and creativity. It gives me optimism that the rest of that will kind of come around, but yeah, the, like, it's it's going to be interesting to see how effective that is if given that he's just a decent athlete if the threat of an outside shot isn't there because if yeah. you look at like the bog like uh like the bogdanoviches for example like bogdan does not like he's such a good shooter that he can open up a lot for himself with boyan it's it's kind of the same like he's just a really legitimate threat from the outside so he can get to this kind of like funky crafty playmaking stuff because he's going to draw you out of the paint worth durisic if that isn't there i i yeah i really don't know what that could look like but again like you said the shots there you're talking about a completely different player highly exactly valuable. and then yeah. and then you feel bad for passing on him if he if mm-hmm. he shoots it um so the next guy on on our list here is a player that we're both really interested in yeah, uh, we, we've got him in the same range, sort of a man of mystery type, I would say, just because I, I feel like everything about him has been just really kind of quiet and not yep. super discussed. Um, he is signed to Basconia, another Spanish league team. Uh, he currently plays for their third division team most often. Uh, so it's going to be yeah. one of those just real tricky evaluations as far as uh, like level of competition and things like that. It is Usman and Daye. Uh, he is six foot 11, uh, really fluid and agile um, in the games against competition that he plays. He can get separation off the bounce. Uh, he's an active mover offensively, pretty, pretty disciplined. 
uh, has a floater shot looks good. He's confident in it. He can get downhill and he's good tracking the ball. So just a very intriguing player with really great size. Um, how do you feel about Indaya? And then how do you just feel about evaluating a player like this when they're, they're playing in a league that, you know, with, uh, look, Najee, like we talked about earlier, he's playing in a league where it's so like, between both the, the Spanish, the main Spanish league yeah. and the Euro league, like the level of competition is so high that it can be tough to know what to make of such a young player with Indaya. It's sort of the exact opposite. He's, he's playing, uh, you know, in, in a weaker league. So how, how do you evaluate a player like that? And, and what do you see out of Indaya so far? Well, like the simple answer is so did Giannis Antetokounmpo and he's like yeah. the best player in the NBA. So Indaya is probably going to be on that same mm-hmm. trajectory exactly, here. Yep. Yeah. Right. It's just going to be five. one of the best. Ever. No. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Why is this even a question? Um, it is really tricky though. Uh, you know, to answer your question seriously, Maxwell, because you want to see him when he is the big fish in the little pond that you want him to play like the big fish in the little pond. And whenever he is given, you know, opportunities against higher levels of competition at his age, you want to see him at least demonstrate flashes that kind of make, makes you being curious about him a little bit more rational and understandable. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I love his shooting potential. I, I mean, at his, you, you laid it out beautifully, Maxwell, because everything around him is just so quiet. And I feel like everybody is waiting to see something positive before they come out and say, I had him at such and such spots on my big board, right? Because he profiles as the exact type of player that everyone is looking for in the NBA, right? Like these big, like shooting, ball handling, wing slash forward guys, because like you said, he's what, 6'10", 6'11", if not bigger now. Um, has some handle, um, help defense, looks really good in the film that I saw, um, has, you know, raw instincts on that end to where if he starts getting some fundamentals down, like he could be a real menace on that, on that side, some finishing ability. Um, but it, like most young players at his size with his skill, he can settle for his jump shot a little too much. Mm-hmm. Um, you worry about what his interior game is going to look like. And he's had some bad misses in some of the games that I watched where it's yeah. just like, oh, buddy, what are you doing? But I think I don't know enough about him to say this definitively, but I'm curious as to how late to the game of basketball that he came to and how much mm-hmm. of a growth spurt, how quickly he he underwent, because it just looks like there's so many raw tools there. And mm-hmm. he may not even be a this year guy, but I have him at That's... 45 because yep. I'm like, if if it clicks in a hurry, like he can just skyrocket. Like all it takes is for someone to go scout him internationally and be like, oh my goodness, like no one's talking about this guy. Why not? You know, so mm-hmm. I kind of feel like I have him in a cop-out range where I have him at 45 to where and be like, yeah, I was I, I had him monitored, right? But you know, I was a little hesitant if he's if he takes off. But I don't know, just a lot of intriguing tools there, but it is all very raw. But those tools it are very raw. enticing. Yeah. So that's, that's like the big concern with him. So like, if you're listening to this and you've not dug into the film and you're like, Whoa, this guy's like six eleven, and there's like shooting potential there. Why is he so low on your board? Um, he just has not been very efficient. So he played yeah. in the German B league last year and he wasn't necessarily efficient there. Uh, 41.4% from the field, 29.8% from three, uh, 52.6% from the free throw line this year, the free throw shooting is better. 
Um, yeah. but he's only making 25% of his threes and he's 35.2% from the field. So yeah. he's playing in this third league in Spain and like, he's just not efficient, but he's averaging like seven rebounds per game. He's averaging over a block a game, basically playing as a wing. Um, there's just a lot that's got to click because, and he has time is the important thing to keep in mind. With mm. He's not going to be forced to enter the draft until 2026. So yeah. if, if, if he doesn't play well this year, like that's fine. I have no problem seeing where he's at next year. Um, the concern is just like, yeah, if this stuff doesn't get better, he, he, he very quickly becomes, we have Papa Miller at home. <laughs> and yeah. like, and like, that's, that's not great. Like you don't want a guy who like is really raw and we're just not really seeing any of it. So yeah. Or we'll sign John that, Butler out of free agency or whatever. We'll convert yeah, his two way contract or something for sure. Cause the thing is though, he's taking five threes a game. It's yeah. six eleven, And like the defensive flashes are really interesting. So yes, I don't want to write him off. Up. Like, yeah, I just, I don't feel comfortable like totally selling on him when I think the percentages are going to come around. So that's, that's sort of where I'm at. Do you have anything else you want to throw out there on him? I'll just say real quick for the level of competition also comes and no disrespect to third league, you know, coaches, they're probably, well, they are, they are better basketball minds than I am, but I will say, you know, relative to the other players that he is going to be compared with and competing against like the level of coaching that that's mm-hmm. there's a substantial difference. Right. So I'm curious to see like, if he stays international, um, I know that the overtime elite, they love international prospects. Like the, he, since he has what four years, three, four years before he has to declare, um, mm-hmm. we might see him try his hand in the overtime elite. They had, they, sick. they have no shortage of, you know, international players or even something like the G league ignite where we might see him against, you know, you know, with a, a higher level of coaching, something along those lines to kind of help hone those raw, that raw potential that he possesses. Yeah, I would, I would love to see that. <coughs> um, the next guy we're going to get to is a really interesting player, a guy I think that we, we both kind of had eyes on last year, yeah. uh, entered the draft initially and then uh, withdrew early. Uh, he is currently playing for Ratio Farm Um in Germany. Uh, he is uh, the last emperor, Fedor Zugic. That's that one's for the MMA fans out there. there uh, Zugic, an outstanding movement shooter. It's six foot six. Uh, across his leagues currently this season is hitting thirty five percent of his threes. But boy, oh boy, when he gets hot, does he pour it on in a hurry? Um, currently scoring around eight points per game. Uh, the rest of his game, I think, can leave a little bit to be desired. I do feel like he's doing a much better job now of leveraging his gravity as a three-point shooter yeah. and getting downhill and then finding guys uh when the help comes i think he's jumping better which sounds silly but like the plays where he gets up around the basket or at least a rebound it does feel like he's getting up higher than he did last season uh but ultimately just a lethal shooter with a quick trigger and no shortage of confidence um he's had he's had some really impressive outings for Ulm this season a couple games of like 17 points 18 points um, how do you feel about Zugic and do you think this could be the year for him? He's still only 19 or do you still yeah. think he's a couple of years away? I felt better about him. I think coming into last year than I do about coming into this year, largely okay. because I believe that this class, you know, no, nothing to take away from the last class. I was a big fan mm-hmm. of the last, but I feel like this year might be legitimately one of the best draft classes in NBA history. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he just, he fell down the ranks a little bit. And before I throw out the number, 
Maxwell, you know how it is when you got to make a big board and you get to a certain range where you could talk me, you can talk him up, you know, 15 spots or down 15 spots from where I'm about to say, yeah, and, I would, yeah, yeah. and I would sleep well at night. Like, okay, like I'm not going to fight you. It's just like mm-hmm. preferences, right? I have him at 90. And again, that sounds mm-hmm. like it's like very low, but there that's still in a range to where I feel like he could like sneak up and be a draftable prospect. And largely because with the shooting potential, um, looking at him shooting this year, it looks a lot better in terms of efficiency. Prior seasons, it was really kind of spotty, similar to what we were talking about with Nikola Jurisic. Um, and really, that's his swing skill. Like, he, he might be the best shooter in this draft class. At least the form looks that way. Like, it's very pretty. And he can get nuclear really quick. Um, competes on the glass. He, still, he uses his size to his benefit on that end as well. And he at least tries defensively. I do like that. He's he an effort guy on that side. Mm-hmm. A lot of things to clean up. And he's not one of those just like stand still. I'm going to pass the ball and sit here, guy. Like that European style of play teaches you that you're constantly on a string with everybody else. You got to relocate. But then we get to the shot consistency. Sometimes the shot selection uh, leaves yeah. a lot to be desired. I thought the uh, same. His rotations on the defensive end are highly questionable. And uh, when he does um, put the ball on the ground and looks to make reads, they can be very crazy and wild sometimes. I think that he thinks that he might be tearing Armstrong out there sometimes. But um, overall, shooting is always going to give you a fighting chance Mm -hmm. in the NBA. And it's a great starting point. But it really comes down to what else can you do because shooting – is still a very important part of the game, but now you have to be able to do more than that. Like long, long gone are the days of you being Jason Capono and like holding down yeah. the NBA roster spot now. So mm-hmm. um, I'm curious to see what else he can do this year, but I, I believe that he's going to get better and it looks like he already has. Yeah, I, I agree with you too. I, in a lot of those assessments, I thought we said about the passing was really spot on. <laughs> One of my notes is a bit overambitious in general. And then parentheses yes. passing comma shot selection, which were like the two <laughs> things that you mentioned specifically. Uh, and yeah, the defense is rough. Like the rotation, I think he's, he's balanced and like he's engaged, but he really dies on screens for yes. one. Like if he, if he is guarding on the ball and somebody sets a screen, like he's, he's dead. Um, yeah, he is so choppy with his strides when yep. he's in a situation where like he's got to move and rotate and make decisions off the ball. Like he will take eight steps to like get where he needs to go. It's it's a big problem. It really prevents him from covering ground. And I feel like just as a whole, but especially on defense, he plays smaller than he is. Like he's listed at six, six. And I'm constantly like we're going to talk about some other guys later that are listed at six, six. And I'm like, is he, is he really six, yeah, six? He might be six, four, six, five. Yeah. Yeah. Like there are times where he just does not feel that size. Um, we're going to kind of keep it moving through some of these other guys. The next one is a guy that I'm like, yeah, I think we're both just kind of like, we don't really want to have this conversation right now. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's Roko Perkachin, uh, Perkison. Is it, it's Perkison, right? I've heard both. I used to say precaution. I think the commentators say Perkinson. I think it's Perkinson. Yeah. It's so like, he, like almost medicinal. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So he, <laughs> he played with uh, Sabona in uh, the Adriatic League last year. Now he's playing in the Spanish League for Girona, which is one of the best teams in that league and, or, uh, you know, a team in a really good league, rather. And it has not gone very well. Uh, he, is and it, this is a guy too that like in 2020 there was a lot of buzz like he could come out and he could be like not just a first round pick but maybe a lottery guy he's six foot nine 
really good decision maker plays really hard on defense, creates a lot of chaos. Like there was a lot of, of hope and expectation for him. And this season so far, he's averaging 2.2 points, uh, 2.7 rebounds, uh, 0.3 assists, 0.3 steals, 34.8% from the field, 0% from three, 44. I was going to say, I don't believe he's hit any of his threes at any point so far this year, which is a no. big bummer. Yeah. Cause that was always the thing was like, he was always sort of like an, if he shoots it guy. And then you'd look at the percentages and be like, Oh man, like he's actually hitting like an okay percentage this year. And then you would watch the games and it's like, Oh, nobody's even covering him. Like these are mm-hmm. all just wide open. And last year across his leagues, he ended up at 28.6. So the year in 2021, when people thought he might come out, uh, he hit 35% of his threes and it was like, okay, he just needs to take that next step forward, take more of them. And last year it regressed to 28.6 this year. He's not hit a three. Um, do you think there's a way for him to like get his groove back? Like, do you think if he does finish the year strong, would you feel comfortable like taking him or, or would you be like, I need to see like a full year of it given the kind of steps back that we've seen. Like if he is a strong last 10, 15 games to his season, is that enough for him to come out? Or do you think we need like just more time in general with him? I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. He has over the past couple of draft classes just steadily gone down. You know, as much as yeah. I said that you can talk people up and down my board once you get to this range, I have him at 107. And in my notes that I sent you, I was like, I already want to move him down when I'm like looking at other people that yeah. I have behind him. Yeah. And a lot of that has to do with, you know, it's kind of like rollover minutes. You know, it's like rollover mm-hmm. credit from like prior draft classes where you're like, if he hits, if he hits, if he hits. Even in his most idealized role, like, I don't know where I would ever look at him and Jaime Hawkes, like, side by side and be like, yeah, I'm going to take Rocco Precaution when I could get Jaime Hawkes. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I think at his best, you would want him to do kind of similar things to what Jaime does because, like, mm-hmm. his his chief skill that I appreciate is his size and toughness and tenacity. And you have to have so much else to your game in order for that to, to be meaningful, right? Like, his cutting instincts are there. He has some driving to his game, but if you're going to be that size, you're not a center. You're not even a small ball center. So you're looking at kind of like a three, four. If you don't provide any shooting promise at all or playmaking promise at all, then you lose a lot of your luster really quickly. And I think that he's shooting himself down my board, like as we speak. And that sucks, man, because when we criticize, and I say we, not us in particular, but like a collective, we, Sometimes we criticize players for betting on themselves and going into a draft. And sometimes we like praise guys for coming back a year and like trying to hone their craft and be better. But like, what would Rocco's life look like if he just decided to go pro and be a, a second round pick, you know, a couple yeah. of draft classes ago. And, you know, does he improve? Does he get better? Like, is it a confidence thing just on the team that he's playing? I, I have no idea, man, but. It's crazy to think that that this is where my evaluation is with a guy like Rocco now. It's yeah, it's like a guy that bumps me out, and I I hope that he turns it around and has a big year. Um, sort of on the opposite side of the spectrum, and in that I've, I've seen pop up more and more recently, uh, is Juan Nunez Garcia, a teammate yeah. of Fedor Sugic uh, for Ulm. Uh, he is very fun. He is a clever ball handler. He is a tricky pick and roll operator. Really knows how to navigate screens with the ball in his hands. Uh, footwork is the name of the game for him offensively, as far as how he sets up his own offense and freezes defenses, uh, can read the pick and roll very well, make cross corner kicks. Uh, he's got a nice little floater game to him, budding shooter. 
defensively, again, there's some issues, but he's 6'3", so he's got, you know, solid size yeah. for a guard. Uh, strides can be an issue. Does bite off more than he can chew at times as a passer and can, can force quite a bit. Um, the other thing I noted with him is it feels like for somebody with good footwork to set up their own shots on his drive, there's almost never any pace. Like, you know, he's going to pull up if there's hesitation, because if he drives, he just charges the basket at full speed. Uh, So a younger guy, uh, you know, plenty of room to grow. Uh, But what are your thoughts on Juan Nunes Garcia at this stage? I like him a lot. He was a guy that I was even eyeing last year. I had him as a potential top 100 uh, prospect last year. This year, I have him all the way down at 116. But again, you know, talk me up, talk me down. I'm fine. But right now, my evaluation is, is like he could be like a Raul Neto type player. I think coming into the league, reliable, secondary, tertiary a playmaker, a guy you can trust that could come in, um, make good passing reads. He plays passing lanes well on the defensive side of the ball. That's really about the only role that I trust them in on that side. Like you, <laughs> yeah. you gotta, you gotta really have your, your front court uh, on lock. If you're going to have him as like your point guard, um, his off ball movement, I think is really well. I think that there are some secondary, some, some bench lineups where you can even maybe run him as a two uh, just from the, the spot up capability that he's looking to have um, in the handle ambidexterity. I think that he finishes well with either hand. Um, has good body control, but like you mentioned on the drives, um, the the change of pace, it, it seems like he tries to be more shifty with his shoulders than with his hips or anything like that. And it seems more herky jerky than it does uh, more herky jerky, less wiggle. I'll put it that way. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And then like the shot sam- sample might be an indictment because the percentages look promising, but he doesn't necessarily shoot like a lot um, mm-hmm. a- as a guard. And I don't trust him like once he feels contact either. So I think that's really going to kind of limit him. But you said that he's six, three, I think he plays like he's six foot, even maybe, you know, he plays very small, low to the ground. Um, But I think that he's promising. He's still so young. I just, I kind of want to see him again for another year before I'm ready to vault him up, but he just, he seems like a very steady, safe point guard. You know what I mean? Like that you can put him in and you know that, He's not going to make mistakes, but he's also really not going to necessarily give you an edge offensively either. He's just going to kind of keep the thing going. For sure. And uh, yeah, the Neto comp, I think for that reason alone is, is a pretty interesting one. Um, we're going to run through kind of some of these other guys just real quick. Um, sure. A player that you listed on here, Ariel Hakporti, uh, a guy who was in the mix last year, unfortunately going to miss this season with an injury. Is he a player that, you feel you need to see more of like if he put his name in this year, are you just kind of gun shy on him with the fact that he's coming off of injury or would you be willing to kind of jump the gun on him? It's not necessarily injury. It's what I think his offensive role is because um, he's got good interior touch. He just kind of feels like a, a time capsule player where he's just yeah. like, you trust him as like an interior scorer, kind of like Jalil Okafor in that way, but it's the, it's the verticality. I think he lacks, especially on the second hop. Um, he's more of a strength player than he is a bounty guy. Um, and I, I don't think that you're looking at him as an anchor on defense at all. Like you kind of trust him as like a clean things up on the back end, as opposed to like funnel everything towards me type of guy, um, have him at 131 on my board right now. I could be mm-hmm. talked up <laughs> probably several, you know, tens of spots, depending on how things work, but, um, there's no shooting promise there for me either. Um, and he is very foul prone. So 
kind of all the negatives that you can have in a big man in the NBA, he seems to have. It's just that if you want to change a pace and you want to just like pick apart a, a team on the interior with your scoring, like trusting him to do a couple little post moves and counters, like he has that to his game. So maybe that's enough to kind of set him aside from the crowd, but there's just a lot of red flags for me defensively. Mm-hmm. That's more than fair. Um, two guys that popped up in ESPN's most recent mock draft uh, were Michael Cassiedo and uh, Montes uh, Robstavicius. I believe I'm getting that correctly. Um, Montes played in, he plays in Lithuania right now. Um, yeah. Six foot, both guys, six, six Montas, more of a shooter, a guy who, you know, relocates off the screen. He's got this really nice lefty stroke. Uh, in the Lithuanian league, they play in some really tough, just loud environments. Yes. Um, but he's got size. He's got swag. Like he, he gets really fired up when he's hitting his shots. He changes direction while on offense. Uh, conversely, not a great athlete. Uh, can be prone to getting back cut, not super balanced or fluid on defense. Whereas Cassiedo, he's playing with Barcelona, really long limbs, really athletic. Um, his shot does not fall at the same clip as Montes's, but uh, he is confident with it. He'll pump fake and go into a sidestep and shoot it. Um, shades of passing and a much better athlete. I think he's thinner and skinnier. I worry about him more from a physicality standpoint and his handle can get away from him at times as well. Between uh, Montes and Cassiedo, do you have a preference out of either of them? Like, is there one that you like more than the other at this stage? Yeah, I'm going to be super transparent and let folks know. Um, I can't watch literally every prospect um, that's coming into this uh, coming into this class. I will say that I have seen both of them, but Mm -hmm. I have definitely seen more uh, uh, Cassiedo. I like Mm -hmm. him a lot, especially that shooting promise Mm -hmm. Um, so much. I feel like that he can do. He kind of reminds me of like those kind of early 2000s combo three, four guys who Mm -hmm. stretches the floor enough to be a threat on the offensive end, but looks like he can support a little bit of weight and have some interior finishing to his game. And I think that that could translate defensively. It's just that right now with the, with the age and the defensive rotations, I don't, I don't like him as a defender right now, but I think that that can certainly get better, but I like him as kind of like a floor spacing combo forward rebounder right now. Whereas for Montes, this is exactly like you said, the, the athleticism isn't there, but with his size and shooting promise, like, again, there's, there's room in the NBA for you to at least see a cup of coffee and see what else you got. But right now, like Casado a lot more. Yeah. I'm, I'm on the same page. Casado is a guy I like crammed for this episode, but I can't yeah. be really intrigued. Um, with Montes, it's like, he's, he's every bit of that six, six, like it's the mm-hmm. opposite of Zugich. We're like, there's, you cannot convince me those two guys are the same size. Um, but yeah, I just, I don't really know what else he's going to be able to do on a court. Um, another guy I want to touch on is this is a guy that I know that we've had conversations about over the years is Malcolm Casalon. Yeah. Um, playing for uh, mega as well, along with Durisic with Jovic out of the way. Casalon's kind of taken on a bulk of the playmaking. Um, it's been kind of a weird journey for Casalon. Like he's been a guy who's been in the mix last couple drafts. Um, yeah. For a while, it seemed like we just needs to shoot better. And then last year he did, but then he got hurt and he came back and he didn't shoot it better. So his hype kind of died down. He came back this year. His passing looks a lot better. It's six foot six. 
Uh, he is really just slinging fastballs through tight windows, even if the assist numbers don't really prop it up. But he's an accurate passer, and he's hitting some tough shots off movement, but the three-point percentage hasn't really been there. Uh, he's not a crazy athlete. Um, but I do think that he's a smart defensive player, that like when things get I, – I, I put on Twitter that he's one of the best gray area defenders in this draft. Like when things get mucky and muddy and he needs to make a decision, he, he tends to outsmart the opposing yeah. team. Um, but he's just not a crazy athlete at six, six. And if you're not a crazy athlete and you can't shoot, it doesn't really matter how good the rest of your playmaking is. If like, you're not a guy who's going to really be able to create a whole lot. So where are you at on Casalon uh, for this class? And like, do you, do you see it happening or no? I, I have him in a range where I kind of have to like remove my own biases because like you said, I, I've loved him the past two draft classes. I had him mm-hmm. as a draftable player um, each year and this year. I'm like, all right, something's wrong with my draft process is mine right now. So I'm going to set you back and you're going to kind of have to prove it up to me again. I'm not just going to give you the benefit of the doubt. So I have them outside my 150 right now, but like just right there. And um, it it comes down to shot consistency. It comes down to injury concerns and it comes down to athleticism. Like, and Mm -hmm. as a guard, you can't have, you know, many of those things (laughs) at all. Right. But if you have three, you know, that's, that's not a good look. Um, Mm -hmm. And again, you know, I don't penalize for age or anything like that, but it's like, what are we not able to hear intel wise that a player that seemingly is as skilled as him isn't able to crack the draft like this many times because he's not a, he's not a young man anymore. You know, like he's a young man, but he's not like a, a kid anymore. He's like a, like a grown up now. And so why is he not getting those types of uh, opportunities for the league? Like that's kind of like an area of concern that I don't know if I'm ever going to get the answer to, but it's in the recesses of my mind to, to consider. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's, that's an interesting point. Cause yeah, it just seems like every year I'm like, Oh, I really like Castellan. I really like Castellan. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, it just doesn't like the, the palpable buzz is never all the way there with him and it's something different every year like it last year it was like the passing consistency and then like the shot dipped and now this year the shot's dipping again like i just want him to have an awesome year like i just want to have mm-hmm. the year where he hits the shots and it's like look he's six six he may not be the best athlete but he can make really good decisions he knows how to defend even if he's not the burstiest and like he can carve out a bench role in the NBA. Like, that's what i'm hoping for for him so yeah hoping that this is the year for him um, any other like deep cut international guys that you're like, I think this could be a guy. I mean, I have a list of them. I'm not, I won't trouble the the listeners for all of them, probably because I'm going to mispronounce a lot of them. But as uh, Vonamir Ivicic, I think is a very interesting big man. Um, mm-hmm. Augustine Ubal, uh, Tristan Vukovic, Leonardo Okiki was a big uh, buzz, buzz name buzz. last year. Yeah. yeah. With, with Okiki, does he feel like? I feel like he's another guy where it's like, I, I need like one more thing. You know what I mean? Where it's like, yeah. he's really strong inside. I like his length on defense, but he doesn't feel everything's off of two feet with him. Yeah. And like that kind of has me with some concern about what he does. And like the jump shot isn't there. Like to me, he just feels like a guy who would have come out as like an interior power forward in like 2003. And everyone had been like, Oh, this guy's pretty good. And like, he would have been, but yeah. it's like in the modern game, I'm just not sure what, his fit is in the NBA. Like he's going to have a long successful pro career wherever mm-hmm. he is, but like, I just don't see an NBA jump for him eminently. Yeah. And, and that's exactly where I'm at too, because it looks like his post game is kind of like 
polishing up a little bit, mm-hmm. but it he just seems like the defensive fundamentals really got to be sharp. I feel like he's one of those guys that will like literally jump for every pump fake because he does have to come off of both feet. So if he is going to prepare for to block a shot, he's not relying so much as a crazy athleticism as it is, you know, trying to get up to meet that shot off of both feet. So I think the rebounding is there. Like there are some interesting things about him. It's just that again, and this, how deep this class is, he just kind of fell victim to the rest of the talent that's, that's in this class. But yeah, I, I have a list of a few uh, Yannick Krings in there. Uh, Miana Jimenez, uh, Ruben Dominguez. Uh, there's a few guys that I'm like really interested in for this international draft, international draft class. Yeah. And I think it's, it's worth remembering too. Like it's the same as it is for college. Like guys are going to fall and guys are going to shoot up. Like you just never know who's all of a sudden going to really start to put it together. Cause like Carlo Makovich was the guy in the last class where it felt like it wasn't until three weeks before the draft. And all of a sudden everyone's like, Whoa, like this guy can really play. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, yeah, he hears his name called on draft night. So it's important to remember that too. Like if, if we didn't mention a guy that you, that you're into, let us know, cause we'll check him out. And you just never, you never know how things are going to, how things are going to break down and unfold. So that, that covers this edition with the international uh, player preview. We appreciate you guys joining us just on this entire journey. Absolutely. Reviewing this whole class before the year even really gets going. And with these guys, they're already playing. A lot of these international leagues have already started up, but we appreciate you guys uh, tuning in, joining us on this journey. Uh, We're excited to get Nathan back in the mix here soon as well. Uh, But Steven, where can people find you? And uh, what have you been working on? Well, yeah. And just kind of give people a heads up and a tease to what we're going to be doing here soon. I think that there's going to be like a draft keeper mock draft coming up. very That's, shortly, that's so. the word on the streets. That's so, the word. That's going to be pretty fun. And I think that there's going to be a, a fun stipulation that we're going to throw in there. So be sure that you're liking, sharing, subscribing, rating, and reviewing to draft deeper on the no ceilings NBA podcast feed, but you can find me on Twitter. That's where I'm most active at Stephen G hoops uh, written work over at no ceilings, um, By the time you're listening to this, it's probably already in your inbox. You need to go read it. It's my biggest questions for the top 30 prospects based on our no ceilings collective composite board. And I went through and asked my biggest area of concern for the most talented to some of the guys that if a few things hit, they might come screaming up your big board. And then I also a little bonus plug in there. I put 20 prospects that I'm like really interested in keeping tabs on throughout the year, because they're probably going to be some, some uh, high risers uh, coming from that list of prospects. So say ahead of the curve, read that. I know Nathan's going to have a piece by the time you're listening to this on Monday too, where he's asking questions, but it's in regards to the college basketball season that is kicking off today. Can't be more excited than more and more basketball to get to evaluate this year, Maxwell. Yeah, make sure you check out Steven's column. This was thorough, really in-depth. I really enjoyed it. And, of course, love that list at the end. Love seeing my guy Tyson Dakenhart pop up on there. Yeah. You know I had to sneak a Boise State game onto my schedule for the first week of the season. So, yeah, love that list, but just love the entire piece as a whole. Super, well, super in-depth. And if you're somebody else too, who's like just starting to get in, you're seeing, Hey, this is the first week of college basketball. I I'm just getting in here. I want to learn about the guys in this draft. Steven's article is a must read goes through a lot of guys uh, with, with first round expectations. So make sure you're checking that out. Um, I'm on Twitter at bound boards at B a U M. And then the word boards, I've got a piece coming out on Tuesday 
uh, where I'm going to be covering uh, five players that you shouldn't give up on yet. So five <clears throat> prospects that have really kind of been overlooked. Uh, their names in the mud a little bit in some cases. Sometimes it's just guys that have been hurt. Uh, but we've seen with guys like Javante Green, um, with players like Anthony Parker back in the day, with players like PJ Tucker, reach. guys, yeah, guys that um, either made Patrick it to the NBA Beverly. and then people gave up on, yeah, or guys that just in Javante's case never got the shot. Like it was just like this guy's not an NBA player because he played at a small school and couldn't shoot and was six four. Like we write guys off all the time after they've proven themselves quite a bit. So it seems silly to write off guys that you know two years ago we're like, hey, this guy might be in the draft this year, and they weren't, and and they're not done yet. So talking about five guys that I think still have a shot. I'm not wild about them, but I think they all have a real shot to play in the NBA. Uh, so fun column there. And then some quick hits and, and big board. Can't stuff. wait to so, check that out, man. That's yeah. going to be a fun read. I know that yeah. you're going to bring some good names to the table. I can't oh, wait yeah. to check they're, that out. They're fun. There's some real interesting players in there. So uh, make sure to check that out. But yeah, otherwise make sure you are subscribed to the Substack, no ceilings, NBA.com to this podcast feed rate and review. And as always, thank you. Thank you to producer Kevin Black. Nathan, can't wait to have you back soon. Miss you, uh, buddy. So, so until next time, have a good night. Peace. Peace.